Okay, we're live. Awesome. Um, okay, so this is the first MSG brawl, is what we're calling it for now. Um, yeah, we have a group of people here. We're going to be discussing specific topics. Um, this, this, these topics will be more religious rather than anything else. Um, we have a group of people. We have Obviously, we have David here. Obviously. We have Matthew. Hello. We have TJ. Gang, gang. We have Tyler. How's it going? And then we have Ryan in the background, but... Don't don't worry about it. I was get you were last minute, but yeah. All right. So yeah, we're I'm gonna topics are gonna be presented, and then people will discuss them. Um, you can disagree on stuff; it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, so gonna be pretty good. All right. Are y'all ready? I don't know. I don't know. Yes. I don't know what y'all are doing. All right. All right. So the first topic, first subject here. I will hand it off to David, but it will be, are you born with morals or are morals given by God? Like I said, these will be religious topics for pretty much all these questions. And uh, yeah, so are you born with morals or are morals given by God? I'll leave it up to y'all. All right. We going around the table, David? Or so this is kind of free form. Yeah. So essentially, if you got something right off the top of your head, you know, make a motion or something, I'll point to you, you go ahead, uh, and then that can give other people a chance to really form up their ideas. Okay. But, and if nobody has anything, well, then I guess we'll have to turn off the podcast and go home. Okay. Well, so, I'll, I'll, I would like to be the first to okay, speak about ahead. it. Okay, go ahead. So are you born with morals, or are morals given to you from God? Yeah, that's the question. Uh, I think you're, well, of course, you aren't born with morals because you're a child, but I think as you grow, yes, you develop your own morals, if we're going with that. Because, you know, you can see it through just us here at the table. I have different morals than you, probably different morals than Matthew, definitely different morals than TJ. And if they're given from God, then you would expect them to be all the same if we're all, you know, given morals from God. So I think you develop your own morals, but I don't think they're all right because I could have a different moral from you and one of us is wrong because, you know... God is the creator, so God's moral standard is the moral standard we should go to. But yes, I think I think we're born with morals or develop them with age. Yeah, but how do you how are you defining morals? That's what I'm like. Your I'm morality. Okay, so is it wrong to kill someone? Well, that's a moral. Is it wrong? To, yeah, is that a moral? Yes. So how do you learn that moral? From experience and from your parents, from so not from neighbors, being, not from just being born. Yeah, I guess some morals. So but, I, that's what I'm saying. Okay. What do you mean by morals? Because that's such a weird question. Okay. Well, this well, kind of bleeds well, into another issue, which is our morals, conscience. And that, that's kind of an issue. I personally believe that, yes, your conscience is kind of your moral compass. Um, that's, I think that's really what the question is getting at. Um, so I guess you could rephrase that. Are yeah. you born with a conscience? Yeah, but if, if you're saying that, yeah, I think it's pretty agreeable that everybody's born with a conscience, but... What are the laws within the conscience? Because if you believe in the Bible, there's the Ten Commandments. I mean, you know, were you born with those morals? They had to be written down and told to everybody? That's what I'm saying. Like, what is morals? I don't understand that question. Like, are you born knowing that killing is wrong? I don't know. Well, here, here's one. What about one that's different from killing? Uh, is it morally right to circumcise children? Because some, some cultures that, believe yes and some cultures believe no. Which one's right? But I'm it's just, different morals. That's my point. Is 
That's what I'm saying. Yeah. What do you, if you were born on an island, if you were left on an island to grow up by yourself, what morals do you have? That's what I'm saying. Because when you say, are you born with morals? But that's not that, the question. What was the question? I guess I wasn't. Well, are you born with morals yeah. or are morals given Yeah, by so God? if you're born with morals, that would mean that you would be left on an island and you would have the morals. Yes, you would develop them with age from experience. Like but I what said. is morals, right and wrong? Yes. So for the purpose of this, essentially, yeah. yeah. You're saying what morals you are right and wrong? I don't know if that's the definition. What's but if, another definition? If morals are right, well, morals would be your personal beliefs, right? Yeah, they what is right and wrong? right and wrong? Yeah, but, but didn't I compromise what's right or wrong, at least how you perceive it. But I guess, like, we define morals, it can be kind of like a vague term, but I guess I would define morals as just your perception of what you think is correct, what you think is incorrect, whether well, it serves you to be right or wrong. Meh, maybe not as important. Okay, but if in ancient Rome, it was the parents' prerogative whether or not they killed their child. That was the moral standard of the time. So, I mean... That's why I'm saying it, morality is not can't be right and wrong, can it? it? Doesn't make sense to me. Well, there can be an ultimate morality, which is kind of the the point which the Bible is trying to get at, especially with the Ten Commandments, because I believe a great many people, aside from those who are most wicked, would look at the Ten Commandments and they could all come to an agreement that yes, on a basis, on, you know, the most standard, most simplistic. Version yeah, but, of morals. But, These ten things are pretty bad. But why would they come to that belief? Well, and that's the thing. Well, that's what I'm if saying. They were if they're born with a conscience, then perhaps they could agree on that rule. It doesn't matter what the dictionary says morality means. <laughs> that's moral. What does it say? It's I didn't read moral. it. What it was it? about morality. It's a lesson, especially one concerning what is right or wrong. A lesson, prudent, you said. That can be derived from a story, a piece of information, or an experience. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like morality. That's why I'm saying the question is. It doesn't make sense because it, it literally morals are from something. Yeah, I just said from experience. So can you be born with morals? I, that doesn't make any sense. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, no, because a baby can't kill another baby. Okay, but you just said they Unless could he be. really, really wants to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, well, I, I was saying as you grow up, your morals are developed. It's, it's like the age of consent. It doesn't just all happen like that. I understand, that. but the definition of morality is something you derive from something. So you can't be left on an island after birth and have morals. Yeah, you like, can. You but, can you okay. can feel it in yourself. You can go, is it right okay. or wrong for me to kill this dog that I found on this island? Okay, well, I guess what I'm saying is can you have the right morals? And what are the right morals? And that, that's what I'm asking. Like, in ancient Rome, they killed children, whether it was their prerog- it was their prerogative to kill a kid or not. You know? Yeah. Is that right or wrong? It's wrong according to God. Okay, but how is that... But if that's morality, then it's separate from God. Yes, but that, the question was, yeah. is it is it given from God? Are you is Does God give you your morals? As a Christian, yes, you should strive to have God's morals, but no, God does not, when I become a Christian, just in place in me, hey, Tyler, don't go have sex with another woman. It's It's a learned thing, and whether I do or don't do that, God really doesn't say he doesn't control me i have freedom well, i would so. disagree that once you become a christian you don't derive some sort of i guess moral compass i, would no, I wasn't that, saying but. that i think as you grow as a christian because yeah you you aren't gonna just automatically go against but it. you're proving my point you're saying as time goes on your morals change so you're not really born with morals you're born with a set of ideas that more that more might more be so but yeah. the definition of morals is learned 
Yes. So it, you can't you up, be you born with morals. I mean, I don't understand what you're saying. And this is something that C.S. Lewis thought a lot about because it's it's a deep topic. Because, yes, there are for certain learned morals. I mean, you can have somebody that grew up in a situation where everything that we consider bad was taught to them as right. Can, and they would can we change up. the name of it? Because, because literally the word moral means to have learned a lesson. That's okay. what moral means. Can we change it from right or wrong? That's what I'm let's, saying. Let's change it to the, the word the moral. Sense of right and wrong in the situation. Because I mean, morality changes all the time. Okay. Moral. I think morality is separate from Christ as well. But, but in in this sense, at least, um, I, and I think you're getting at something correct. But in the the moral I sense, I think everybody has that impression, that idea, inset into them. Now it might be hazy. It might be weak. Um, but. C.S. Lewis got about it in such a way that he was talking about how all of us have morals that are really not all too different from God's morals, but God's are ultimately correct. And the way that we view morals, especially on our own you know, individual basis, is, is like looking through a dirty mirror at what God's morals are. And if you just cleaned the mirror, you'd see the picture of God's morals and you'd recognize, okay, that is the perfect basis of right and wrong. But from our human selves, we can't really see that full picture. And so that's why morality is kind of subjective when it's getting to a person by person. Because you're right in the sense that, yeah, everybody's got a little bit different view on what true morality should be, what's right and wrong. But if you take a broad view of all the societies going back through history, the central ties of morality haven't been all that different. Like you didn't have one group that was long-lasting that thought murder was the absolute best thing in the world. I mean, there was there was some things that were understood. You, you got You're saying groups, universally understood? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got uh, groups like the Nazis, you know, that thought for a time that killing a certain race was the best thing they could do. But it was also born out of a, a number of different, you know, socioeconomic ties that they were trying to do. It was some... Well, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I kind of disagree with that. Like... If you look through history, there were groups that believed completely different things that lasted for a long time. And the Hitler-esque, I guess, the way they treated their people continued through Stalin, through the Soviet Union. So it wasn't a short-lived idea in the terms of... But did all the people believe that? Because I'm I'm pretty sure the people who were being killed didn't believe that that was But did all the people believe in... You know the forming of the United States at the time. I mean, you're never going to have the whole place. Well, living. that's where the individual morality comes in, because not everybody's going to believe on the same thing. Yeah. So then it would be a question of right and wrong. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. I just want to interject where uh, what David was saying. So yeah, every everyone does have like a sense. Everyone in the world has a sense of what is right and wrong. God gave that to us, uh, I believe, and then the Ten Commandments kind of narrowed it down to where you know. You have the majority of people, and then, yeah, there might be minorities that are like, oh, well, we can uh, stretch people's necks 20 feet high, and that's morally okay. We can mess up their bones or whatever, but that's the minority. As a majority, though, most people know murder is wrong. Most people know rape is wrong. You can't take a minority and use it as a majority rule where it's like, well, well, these people believe that it was okay to do this. Yeah, but they were a small population at the time compared to... I, even just Rome. I would say the majority of this this country, not the world, but this country believes that whatever this drug, like smoking weed, is cool, mm-hmm. and whether you think it is or isn't, does not mean that everyone believes that. Yes, and that doesn't that, mean that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that 
the, the but thing, it's the, like David was saying. I wasn't talking about these minor things. It's like God gives you a morality of, hey, these big things are wrong. It's wrong to murder. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to do these things. And for the majority of the world, they agree. And the minority little things like that, like is smoking right or wrong, then I think God leads you in a but way to change your morality. thousands and thousands of years, murder was By the who? thing to do. Everyone, the Huns murdered people, the Mongols murdered people, the Romans murdered people. They would wipe out entire villages. Well, murder and war, kind of different, but I mean... Okay, I mean... God allowed uh, God okay. allowed the Israelites to massacre women, children, men, all that. The Mongols used to Wasn't go murder. into towns, and unless they paid, they would kill the people in the town in the most horrific ways. That is that murder or war? Uh, it seems like war, because okay, they were trying then, to take over Okay, things. then I'll change the wording. War crimes have been the way of thousands of years. Okay. But I'm saying, like, if you're saying that you were born not to do that, that could be true, but it doesn't mean that that's the majority of people believe it. Okay, it's the same with, like... Okay, that comes down to, like, peer pressure and stuff. Like, the Nazis that committed so many atrocities, not all of them believed in it, but if they didn't help out with that, then they would have been the same thing happening. That them. would have been the majority, because if it was just a minority, if it was Yes, but people, that doesn't mean that it's their morals that were telling them to do this. They were just too scared to stand up for it. No, but you're trying to convince me that the majority is whatever you're saying it is. The majority That murder is wrong, yes. Yeah, but for thousands of one of the first one of the first stories we have in the Bible is about murder. And what what happened after that? God said it was wrong and cast Cain out. But did Cain say it was wrong? He he understood it was wrong. Yeah, he knew after what, he was he caught. Was doesn't happening. mean he knew. I'm not saying he didn't know that murder wasn't okay. But God, God yet talked again, to him ahead of the time before he murdered. But this Cain. is a different story. God was speaking to him directly. I mean, it's a little bit different. How do you know though? It doesn't say God's okay. literally speaking to Cain. Somehow, some way, the words and the ideas were transferred from this person to that person. Okay, but what does that have to do with anything, though? I'm just saying it's different, but I, I don't know how you can argue that over thousands of years the morality of the times haven't changed. That's a weird thing to say. Not You're really. saying that over thou, over the entirety of the of the country of the world, I mean, that the morals haven't changed. They've changed, but not to the degree that you would expect well, if just, morals were truly subjective. You guys can check me. I just told you that in ancient Rome, it was your prerogative whether or not to kill the child. Right. Do you disagree? That's the way it's becoming right now. But do you disagree with that? Well, no. I mean, in, in the sense I'm that... Not, I'm not done. I'm, hold on. That was a child, not yeah. abortion. It's a different thing. This was a human child. And they killed it, depending on the sex, just like they would do in China. If it was a moral thing where everyone knew it was wrong, are you saying that they knew it was wrong and did it anyways? Yes, that happens but all the time. then the majority wouldn't be in the right. So I don't understand what okay. you're saying. Okay, the majority of humanity, actually all of humanity has sinned, haven't we? So what, what's your point there? Because if, if they murder their child and go against their, their morals, that's on them. I go against my morals all the time. And I, I think you do too. Okay, so you... Because no one's perfect. So you think that people are born with morals. No, I already said that I think people with age, because like I said, a child cannot say, oh, murder is wrong. Well, I'm trying, that's what I'm trying to convince you all is that you're not born with morals. Yes, but it makes I no think, sense. I think at the age of. So we're still of, discussing this, and I'm saying it makes no sense. I'm just saying at the age of accountability, you yes. You learn you, morals. Yes. yes, I agree. That's what I'm saying. Well, then what are you arguing about? I'm not arguing. I just want you to say, <laughs> yes, you're not born with morals. I already did. Okay. I said it at the beginning. That's it doesn't fair. seem like that was what you and you were just saying. I don't know. Well, and at the end of the day, it's kind of shifted our, our topic 
uh, from the original question because it's gotten into a you know what is right and wrong moral, but um, it's it's more or less about where a, a conscience or a sense of right and wrong originates from, and you know in the original question. Does that come from just being born, or is that something that comes later and is learned? And I think we've, we've talked about it a bit. And Matthew, did you have anything else to add on top of what's already been discussed? Yeah, nothing too much to add. I will say, though, that, yeah, the conversation did shift a little bit from, like, are we born with morals to more of, like, what exactly defines a person's perspective of right and wrong? Like, if someone views something as right and wrong, are they correct in viewing that, or is their perception flawed? It's like we look at humanity... Christians believe humans are born of the sinful nature. Thus, if someone's born of the sinful nature, automatically their moral compass by default is going to be flawed in some way, shape, or form. I guess I would lean a little bit more now that I listen to y'all's conversations that you aren't born with a quote-unquote perfect moral standard. But to me, it feels a little bit nitpicky to say, okay, we're going to find a certain point, the age of accountability, we're going to find a certain point, okay, this is where the morals begin because I was, I couldn't really follow that line 100%. But Which one? Just a line of, like, we're defining when morals begin exactly. And I feel like it's more important to say, well, how accurate are the moral system? Is the moral system whenever you develop it? Yeah, that's what, that's what I agree. That's what I was trying to say is that you, you're not born with morals. But, but what you're saying is that you develop a certain set of morals, right? You develop the morals over time. But then those set of morals, say, if you don't include God in the picture will thus naturally be flawed in some way, shape, or form. Heck, even Christians today, no matter how progressed they are in the path of sanctification, still aren't fully sanctified, and thus there will still be sins committed, flaws, mistakes made, humans are imperfect, mistakes happen. So would you argue then that God has refined morals? Sorry, say that again? Would you argue then that God has refined morals? What do you mean by refined exactly? uh Huh? That's well, to say, but that's what I was saying is I think we can all, maybe we don't all agree on this, but I think everyone agrees that you're not born with what we are talking about as morals. Like, right, a, right. like you may understand right and wrong, I guess, maybe. I would argue that as well, especially if you watch children. But I'm saying that we may have all been born with a set of belief systems and then we're raised into whatever the morale is of the society we're in, but that through God's dictation of like the Ten Commandments and you know Christ afterwards that our moral compass has been refined through that you know what I'm saying like for instance it was told to Moses that it was not good for a son to sleep with his mother I don't know if, I don't know if you've read the Bible or anything like that but it was told to, to Moses to tell the people because that was going on right so I'm saying like would you say that through that or through religion in general morals were brought I guess refined in society you know what I mean I mean I guess like listening to that it does make sense like when people commit actions that they think are right they tend to keep doing it because if I think it's something that's correct why would I stop doing it but as you see as well in Old Testament examples you gave God can insert corrections through Ten Commandments through his personal dictation and through the redefining, not redefining, that's not right, through the um, New Covenant, the New Testament, which showed that the Jewish ceremonial laws were no longer applicable to followers of Christ who would be called Christians, there is also this quote-unquote refining of the moral code. So yeah, I see what you're saying. 
I'm still not 100% sure about siding with a definitive answer because I'm still not 100% sure about the topic in general. But Yeah, I'm not either. I just, I just don't – I think that morals in the sense of what is right and wrong is what we know of it like today. Like what I would say is right is wrong as a 20-something-year-old man or what you would say is a 20-something-year-old man would be different <laughs> than what we would say if we were three. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying is that the morals have – changed over our lifespan because of society and because of whatever we believe in, whatever system we believe in. Right. No, I'm, Would you agree that God has refined morals? I believe, and it's sort of like what Matthew was saying, it, it's hard to put a definite answer on it because a lot of these questions we'll be asking are ones that don't have a solid, definite answer. It's more just for discussion's sake. Um, I agree, yes, throughout your life you're constantly meeting experiences and you're having to make decisions and you're going to have some fluctuation in what you believe is right and wrong. You can't continue to have a simplistic black and white necessarily from your childhood on because you're going to be confronted with things that make you, you know, there, there's gray morality out there. Yeah. What is right and you have to make those decisions and that's how it shapes what you believe is right and wrong going forward. Um, in the sense that is it being refined or was it refined yes I mean I, I have a, a firm belief that the people understood all of the Ten Commandments you know before they were written before they were written what? but that was it was finally given as a concrete law like these are the things you must follow if you're going to be the covenant people of God um, they, they I mean we, Adam and Eve understood what death was before uh, the death first was murder, a thing yeah. or before they even you know left the Garden of Eden um uh, the story of Cain and Abel. I, they understood murder was wrong. I, they understood the concept. So you say of murder. you say Adam and Eve believed in death, knew of death, knew or of death. knew the consequences of death. They knew I, what I death believe, was. Yeah, it wasn't an abstract concept, but not through an example or through an example. Not necessarily of a human example, but well, I'm just saying not through an example. Or yes, you say there was an example. There could have been. And the the Bible is very specifically worded, and I believe it was worded that way for a reason. Um, and the Bible says that the consequence of sin was human death. It doesn't say that the consequences of sin was all death. So it could very well be, and I think this is the case, that you know animals weren't immortal. I'd have to read that fall. again, but I don't think that was what it said. I think it said that the consequences of... Are you talking about the wages of sin is death? Is that what you're saying? No, that's not the, the verse I'm quoting, and I, I can't pull up the exact... In Genesis, you're saying? But the... No, I believe it just said death. I mean, they were, the he, wages was, of sin he was death, but in that know, connotation, but, but in Genesis, I think it just said death. That he was speaking directly to human beings. Yes, and that's that's not the quote either. I'm I'm gonna have to go back. But and I think David's talking about that the word death that he's referring to, like the Hebrew translation, not the English translation, means human death, not uh, another type of death. I should have brought my but my ancient Bible. I think that's Bible. what he's talking about. Is that the Hebrew word? for death in that sense was human death that you were going to was literally it, die. Was it Shoal or was it? I, I don't know. I, I was just saying what I thought David was saying. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's I haven't studied I that verse after. as much as probably David has. I've heard him talk about it on the podcast before. So. You know what chapter this is in? Genesis 1. Oh, right. Well, David uh, said he wasn't it, talking about it. I don't, referring I don't to believe Genesis? this one's in, in Genesis. I so you're not referring to when they ate of the fruit. But it was talked about more than just in Genesis. Right, no, like, it's brought back time and time again. I know, if it's within but, Scripture, then it's... But you're not talking about when they ate of the fruit. That's what I'm saying. No, it's referring to that, but it's not found in Genesis is the verse. Right. And I believe about. it's Paul that's talking about it. 
Um, and he's talking about how the so that it's it's uh, I'd have to go back and look, and I can amend this later and, and get but that back, back, back to you. morals. All I was all I would think is is that with you saying that people already knew of the morals, I would just think that for me, I believe God is intentional in what He says personally. Yes. So when the Bible specifically says um, not to um, add or subtract from the Scripture, I believe that wasn't just put in there. There was a reason. Perhaps somebody has tried to do that or thought about doing that, and then they said, oh, can't do that, you know? Just like to say that if the Bible or if the Ten Commandments have these particular laws, not to say that you may not have known them, but it's it's not necessarily something that would have been considered a sin at the time, I wouldn't think. Well, even even if you don't know something, it still could be a sin. I don't know about that, but... I, I I do know about that. I could I I mean, if you want to go that the Jewish people necessarily didn't know right from wrong, then why did God wipe out everyone? Is it a sin to own Noah? slaves? It depends. I would say, um, like a butler would be termed a slave. Jewish slaves were different than slaves we had in America. They were treated that's not differently. What I'm asking. I'm saying is it? So no, you're saying it depends no, on the slave. No, the way that. You're terming slavery like the Americans having slaves back in the Civil War. Mostly that was wrong. I don't know how everyone treated their slaves, but yeah, that would be wrong to hurt a person for no reason. But the Jewish people had laws about when they took in slaves, how to treat them. Is that wrong to have another man serve you? No, I serve a person. I work for somebody. Is it is it wrong for you to murder or to kill a child, whether well, it's Well, now you're asking not. questions about what is right or wrong. That's not the question, though. I, but that's what I'm saying. You're asking me what God says about it? It's no. not, because that's that's the whole point is, is God giving us morality or we have morality? Well, and I think we've already proven that. Here's what We I'll come say. up with our own morality. God's morality is the right morality, and we are trying to strive towards that. Here's what I'll say about morality. Morality is separate from God. That's what I'll say. Yes, and that's what we were saying. I don't know if that's what you were saying, but that's what I'm going to say. Okay, well, I'm, I was just saying that, yes, we develop our own morals. Are our own morals right or wrong? Who's to say, so, God? I mean, so my moral could be, be different from God. Okay, so then we've we've agreed. We cannot yes. be born with morals. Yes, I already said okay. that. So what are we talking about? I don't know. You keep on going round and round. I was just saying Matthew's that. Matthew's the one poking holes in everything. <laughs> he did a good job, too. <laughs> well, no, it's... And, and there's a lot of that that we talked about, which was just semantics. If it's... If we run into more word issues where there's a definition that's uh, confusing somebody or that's that's not as it should be used, just go ahead and say that right off the bat. We can get on the same board and then not have to worry about arguing about something or disagreeing on it based purely on semantics. Um, you so got I, me and TJ in the same room. That's the only way we know how to argue against each other. Understand. I've, I've been there too. <laughs> uh, why don't we go ahead and bleed into the next question if that's if y'all are good with that. Yeah, yeah, I think I've said all I need to say. About I'm not reality. okay with it. <laughs> Moving on then. Uh, now this is another one, and this one very may very well lead us to the end of the episode. Uh, it's a deep one, and it's one that's been posed by literally every uh, anti-theologian that's ever existed, and that's pretty much the issue of evil. Um, what does or why does God allow bad things to happen to people? And that's it's a it's a sharp one. It's one that has been rephrased a billion, million times. Um, but 
Anybody want to start us off on that yeah, one? I can't prepare for this one, oh, actually. Okay. I have notes on it before I even came in. Go ahead. Uh, can you word the question one more time yeah, before sure, I go I into it? So, why does God allow bad things to happen to people? Okay. So, yeah. So, why God allows evil and suffering in the world pretty yeah, much? Okay. essentially, yeah. Yeah. This one's just kind of a funny response. But, so. God allows evil and suffering because if he didn't, he might start with you. You might start with me, because in, if we're assuming God is real, then all of us have sinned, and therefore all of us are evil in some way. We all commit atrocities, whether big or small, because they're all sin in God's eyes. So if God got rid of sin, there's no more human population. That's true. So, you know, it's it kind of goes back to the morals of, that would be starting to say, well, you know, maybe God's morals aren't right because he's allowing these things to happen. But God also gives, he's the one who makes freedom, free will, a fact, right? God created free will. Humans are the ones who act upon that free will. The actions of humans not necessarily line up with God. So we can't really, God allows it to happen because he wants us to have free will. I mean, you can take, you know, any example, but... You know, one of my favorites is Joseph, right? Mm -hmm. Joseph gets sold into slavery from his family. They sell him into slavery. Well, you know, us as a human, if I was in that situation, I'd be like, well, there's nothing good that can come of this. And you get thrown in slavery, you go to prison, then you it's starting to look like, oh, you're in charge of the prison. Then you get in trouble again. And all these things happen, but in the end, Joseph had a pretty good life. At the end, his brothers came back to get grain from him, and he gave it to them. It's all these evil things happen to him, but in the end, like it says in the Bible, God turns all evil into good. He, he makes these situations into good. So because we are finite beings, what looks evil now, God could turn into something great. There could be a baby that dies today, and through the butterfly effect that God can see, it could make one of the greatest theologians in the world show up a thousand years later help save millions of people, and we just can't see it right now. Hurricane Katrina was a super horrible thing that happened, and I don't think anyone disagrees with it. It was bad that all people got hurt, all those houses got destroyed. But, you know, as finding human beings, we can't see what's going to happen in the future. But if I'm taking good out of that, I saw hundreds of thousands of people come together and kind of, you know, show God's love in that moment. So a good thing came out of that evil. God allows evil because God allows us to have free will, I think. That's a good answer. And I think you've hit on something that I, I definitely believe. I think the reason a lot of people ask about the, the concept of evil, and you know, obviously a good God possibly couldn't allow evil, I think it has to boil down to a matter of perspective. Because, one, I don't believe we could comprehend at all God's position on this. But if we could, I think we would look at it and go, this is the perfect you know, playing out of everything that happened, especially given that we brought sin into the world in the, in the first place. So we've already messed up the system. I, I, I don't think anybody differs from the fact that if humans hadn't sinned in the first place, it would have been the perfect paradise that it was intended to be. Uh, we probably would have ended up in a Sabbath rest ourselves at some point. But since sin did enter the world... Um, God is being more than merciful, allowing people to be saved. There is a process of salvation that he has allowed. I mean, if, if we're going by the truly just, 
uh, way about things, we should all be dead already. We, we are technically already dead, aside from Christ. So, Vody Bauckham puts this in a remarkably good way. Uh, he says that anybody that asks that question on the concept of evil doesn't understand the question. The question really is, how could God be so good as to save some? And that's really how it boils down to. And it, it kind of bleeds into our own pride. People want to believe that we're important and that we, we deserve life to begin with. But anybody who's fallen, which is everyone, doesn't deserve life. They deserve death. Yeah. And before I let someone else talk, I just wanted to add in one, one thing. Uh, it's a quote. It's from a old, I guess, pastor, priest from the church in Notre Dame mm-hmm. in France. And he said, if God would concede me his omnipotence for 24 hours, you would see how many changes I would make in the world. But if he gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things as they are. So even, you know, even if we say something's evil and something bad has happened, we can't see what's going to happen out of that. Because if we were God and we were going to make everything good and everything good for people, then we would be taking away people's free will. And, you know, I, I don't want to be a robot. I like having my own free choices. Right. And I think that's God showing his mercy that he allows us to do things. And he allows these evils to happen because he will make good out of these evil things, out of this fallen world. We're the ones who made the choice to allow evil to come into the world, not not necessarily God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that famous verse, all things work together for the good of those who love him. I yeah. mean, it's, it's in scripture, so we, we kind of have to trust that it all will work out, and it does. Um, anytime you've been in a terrible situation, you think, well, it can't get any worse. And perhaps it does, perhaps it doesn't, but if you get past it, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. A lot of times you can see the working of God in things. If you just trust him, you can be, well, he, he did this and he prevented this worst thing from happening and obviously I'm still here after this and I've learned this valuable lesson from it that he might then use later in your life to comfort somebody going through the same thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's lots of suffering in the world, but it can be used for good. That's, that's a fact. Do we have any other uh, things to add to it? I'm sure there's lots of things that we've missed. Matthew? Anything? Yeah, let me share my thoughts. So, promise suffering. Why is there evil being allowed to persist in the world? Why do innocent people suffer for the sake of other people's crimes? Things like that. I was reading through Job recently, and Job is one of those classic cases of, well, what did I do wrong? Job cries. Like, even in the introduction to Job, God says, there's no one who's been more faithful to me than Job, my servant. But he allows Satan to, quote, test him for the sake of him not abandoning God in the midst of his circumstances when they change. And so Job not only loses his possessions, but he also loses family members. And so when you lose people that are close to you, that can cause people to go over the edge or cause people to change because material possessions come and go, but family is like relinked by blood. That just doesn't, that can't be replaced. And so there's this perception at the end of Job that, oh, because Job was faithful through the text, that he gets rewarded with more family members and rewarded with even more than he had before. But I don't think I actually agree with that conclusion. In Job, there is no narrative which says because he obeyed, he then 
gets more. In fact, the Lord actually rebukes Job at the end of the book. He talks him through the whirlwind, through the storm, telling Job, asking him all these questions that can you be the one who does the role of God, in essence? Can you be the one who is in charge of the times and seasons, et cetera, et cetera? And so at the end of the book, there is that feeling of, wow, it does feel a little bit incomplete. Like we definitely can see the concept of the eternal perspective, whereas people, we perceive our recollection of the past and the present. And we look at God's perspective and he can see a full recollection of the past, present, and future because he himself is not bound by time. So when we think about it like that, we then look towards God and say, well, that's great. God can see what is good in our lives, what's bad in our lives, and it all works together for his good. However, there's also the question of what, why do innocent people tend to suffer from the actions of others, like children getting killed by parents in the past or present, whether people suffering in poverty because they were born into poverty from a poor family in a faraway land with very little hope of aid or rescue, people being stranded, accidents happening, disasters, airplane crashes, car crashes, all things like that. And there's not really a clear definitive answer. Well, it hap this happened to you because so, so, and so. But we can look back and see that, well, the actions of man, which do cause sin, has a trickle-down effect. Because what people sinned in the past can cause more suffering in the present, so that those who are affected by previous people's sins, though through no fault of their own, suffer the consequences. And when they suffer from it, it produces the vicious cycle of suffering in which people can react and retaliate. And that in itself causes more suffering and more sin, which proceeds down, etc., etc. So, just to sum it up, mankind's own actions have condemned ourselves to the fate of a broken and fallen world. We do trust that, as Christians, that God will one day make things right. He has, quote, an entire eternity to make things right. As people said before, maybe in a thousand years you're going to see some disaster or some sort of thing that happened in the past that was not good, that eventually turns out for good. We have the aspect of faith as Christians as well as, okay, there is a gap on the bridge, what we see now, heaven and God's promises. There's a gap because we can't see it, but we trust God that if we jump over the gap, he's there, and it's not just an empty abyss that leads to nowhere. And so, again, it's difficult because it's another thing to perceive these concepts, and then when you go through suffering yourself or when you personally experience things, it can challenge your worldview on that. Like, of course, no one here is unfamiliar with the sad events in 2020 where things seem to fall apart for so many people. Global pandemics, disasters, tragic deaths, you name it. And the year that was, we, people want to forget, but will persist for a while. I mean, I have to question myself. I look back in my life and I see the quote-unquote sufferings I went through are very minor on a scale of suffering, but it's not nothing either. And I look at my own reactions to it and it's, not a reaction of, well, I'm grateful because thank God that even though these bad things happened, he's still good, even though that's what I want it to be. Instead, the reaction is, well, why did this have to happen to me, per se? Like, why did my graduation have to get postponed, delayed, etc.? Why? Blah, blah, blah. Go through the questions, go through the cycle of just wondering, did I do something wrong? Did, was there some decision I could have made that went better? What is the purpose of all this? Right. And sometimes the answers still aren't clear. But then, again, we look towards the future, look towards hope. We realize that, hey, 
maybe all the questions can't be answered at the moment, but that's okay because I have faith that they will be answered in due time, whether it's in this life or the next. I like you, Matthew. (laughs) I like anyone that will quote the scriptures when we're talking about the Bible. I, I, I like that because what you're saying is true. Like, if you read Job, like you were saying, it's pretty clear that God does not do evil, but that he allows it to happen. Just like they say Job was the not the earliest story, but the earliest written story in the Bible. So like the first recorded story, whereas the first story we have of humanity was, in fact, someone doing something wrong and God knowing fully well that they could, in fact, do it and probably that they would do it because he is all-knowing. So he already knew that they would eat of the fruit and that they would enter sin and bring sin into the world. So, I mean, I think for me, like, why does God allow sin? I mean... Well, I mean, why does God allow bad things to happen? I would say it's more so that we allow bad things to happen, and God allows us to make those choices. And through that, God's mercy is shown, I think, is the most important thing. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people that have had a lot of bad things happen to them. I know a lot of them. And those people that have, some of those people that bad things have happened to them are some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. You know, and that's not to say that bad things are good, but that, or that God like likes them to happen but he allows us to make our own decisions and I think you know it's if you look at the story of David he um, was the king at the time and he instead of going off to war like he was supposed to he stayed back and then he fell for um, I forget her name Bathsheba yeah and sent his her husband out to war knowing that he would die that was not good God allowed it to happen and then David repented from that and after that, in fact, we had some of the best psalms come after that, which I enjoy psalms very much so. And then his son, Solomon, was born from that same transgression, you know. So, I mean, bad things happen. Um, God can use bad things to not only help the person who the bad thing was done to move forward in life and become stronger, but also to have mercy on the person that had done the bad thing. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a tough question. But, I mean, I think, yeah, God does allow bad things to happen. And it's probably, it's a simple answer, and it's also something that we'll probably never understand. I agree. It's yeah. simple in the fact that we all have free choice, but it's hard to understand why, like, especially certain things, like a child molestation. That, to me, I, I, if I was God, I would say I would never let that happen. But then again, I'm not God. So I can't, I can't begin to understand why that would be allowed. Mm-hmm. You know, but it would take away free choice if it was not. So, right. You know, it's the same thing with like whether you believe in free choice or predestination. I mean, if you're arguing this point, you have to believe in free choice. But I also believe both of them are true. So, it's the same. It's the same thing. Like, yeah, free choice is real. So is predestination. You don't. Have, there's no way to describe a lot of things in this world. So, actually, that was going to be the next question. If everybody's finished with this last one, I, we've got a little bit more time. So. We might end it off with that, the, the debate versus, you know, predestination versus free will, and we'll try and keep it as civil as possible, because I think we all have about the same idea in here, but it'd be interesting to see what everybody's take is. Well, we all just kind of agreed on free choice in a way, you know? Yeah. So I think free choice, the Bible says the gift of salvation is freely given, you know? It's simple. The Bible it says, how do, I, how do you be saved? It says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Just simple as that. So that would be a free choice. But also, as far as predestination goes, 
it's hard to argue that God doesn't know whether or not you will do this or that. Well, and that's so basically pre- foreknowledge. Yeah, so predestination in that sense of knowing, which would infer that it would be predestination, is hard to argue against, but it's also hard to argue against free choice when it's simply stated in the Bible that it's up to you, it's your choice, it's freely given. He stands at the door and knocks, you know. You just got to open the door. So it's both, I think. Yeah, and I, I think one of the real hard questions about that is, you know, if I, I, I too believe that we all have free will, and I also believe in predestination. And it's like TJ was saying, it's kind of one of those things that you can't truly understand, kind of like the Trinity. You can't truly con, con how do you say that? Concisely? Yeah, like you can't understand it with our human minds. Maybe when we're in heaven, we'll be able to understand it more. But it's one of those things where, well, if we're predestined, what about, you know, what about Hitler? Was he predestined to die and go to hell? That doesn't seem like a just thing for a just God to do, to say, this person, no matter what, I know he's going to hell. Now, the question I was going to ask from that is kind of, if God pre-knows all these things and you're predestined to either go to heaven or go to hell, I think is... You know, kind of the question that most people are asking when they're asking this question, how can God allow someone to be born that is predestined to go to hell? I think, you know, let's say let's say you're on, on an island, right? And nobody ever comes to preach the word of God to you. And you die. And I, I believe God can send, send something. You can see it in the nature. You know, see God and you can believe in a God that turns out to be God. But let's say you die you go to hell. Is it just for God to do that, for him never to send someone to you? Or maybe in God's mind, and I'm this is not biblically sound, I do not have a verse to back this up, but maybe since God pre-knows these things, he knows that even if I send 3,000 people to this person, they will never change and they will never confess. So instead of doing that, I'm just not going to send anybody ever. It's one of those questions, it's hard because, you know, you can't, myself, I can't imagine a God that would do that, where, okay, you're predestined to go to hell, you're predestined to be saved, and maybe it's the fact that, you know, God's creating us, and he, let's say he created me, and he goes, okay, you're predestined to go to hell, you're born into a Christian family, you aren't going to believe no matter what, and you're going to hell, and it's... It's just a hard question to answer that if God, you know, I have the free choice to make that choice if I want to go to heaven or hell, but God already knows. So it's just a hard concept to grasp, I think. I think the best, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just kind of wrapping it up I think the best example of this dilemma of free choice versus predestination is the story of Jesus. He was taken to a mountaintop when he was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. And, And... Satan came to him and he showed him the kingdoms of the world. And he said, you can have all of this. If it was strictly predestination, God was, or I'm sorry, Jesus was on earth to do a thing, right? To die on the cross, to take the sins of humanity. That was predetermined, correct? So why would that even come about if free choice was not a option? You know, because he could have said, Jesus could have said to Satan at that moment, yeah, I want all the kingdoms of the world. You know, it was predetermined that he would come and die on the cross, but he also had the free choice to deny that, you know. And even even when he was he was in the, another garden uh, speaking to God and saying, if possible, let this cup pass from me, you know. It was his choice. 
he could have just I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but anyways, my point is that it, when he was in the wilderness, that would be a clear example of what this kind of both existing at the same time would be. That's a good example. I, I never thought about that. Yeah, I haven't really thought about that either. So it was very interesting. I think I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it is one of those questions. I think we all sort of agree with it, but it, it, it is a hard question to grasp something right. to, you know, concretely say it's this or it's this. I don't think you can confidently say it's one or the other. It has to be both. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's, it's something we've talked about on the podcast in the past. And uh, the synopsis I'll end up giving, I've thought about it a lot. And we're kind of, we're locked into what the Bible has to say because that's where all of our facts have to come from. And the simple fact of the matter is the Bible uses both free will and predestination in describing our own state. He calls us the elect. Yeah, yeah. So you got the elect, who are the yep. predestined of God. It, it's a difficult thing to grapple with because if you got both, that's that's strange. Uh, what I've ended up coming to terms with is it's it's a hundred percent both. It's not fifty percent predestination, fifty percent free will. It's it's both at the same time, and it's it's inexplicable in the sense it's it's like Jesus Himself, who's a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. We cannot possibly comprehend. One, how that is, but then everything that that implies. But that's something we're forced into, and that explains everything perfectly. So I've come to the terms that, yeah, it it has to be both. It's completely our free will. Because if you don't have free will, you can't have true love and and everything that that brings along with it. Because you'd be automatons. You'd be forced to do something. And then in that sense, you know, God would be unjust in judging us for the things we did at the end of time if we were made to do them like he was you know behind us the whole time like puppets making us do things that would be by definition wrong but at the same time if things are not predestined then god does not have sovereignty over everything which he very clearly does and so i think in one of those moments of just pure infinity we can't grasp it but that must be the way it is god allows us to have free will through his enormous power and it's true free will, but at the same time, we're also predestined. It's it's difficult. You're right. It's very difficult. You got anything to add, Matt? Because I'm I'm at my wits' end with it. <laughs> I mean, I'll be pretty much summed up. Well, I was primarily going to say, but in essence, it's if we take away the aspect of predestination, we take away the some aspects of God's sovereignty, because we believe God's all powerful, all knowing, all sovereign. So if we get rid of predestination, then all of a sudden he's not totally sovereign because he doesn't know choices we're going to make. But at the same time, we do have this perception of free will. We can move to the left or to the right. We can run the red light, stay at the green light. We can, we can make choices. But at the same time, God knows what we're going to do, even though he doesn't force us to go a certain path. Now, this position as well could change because I've realized in my life that there's just so many things that are hard to explain, and this is definitely one of those doctrines. It's been debated about for hundreds, probably thousands of years, and I don't expect it's going to all of a sudden end in a hundred or thousand years either. But we do know that at the end of the day, God didn't have to choose anybody, but yet he still chose some to be adopted, and he does hope that all will be saved. He's not going to save someone asks for salvation. Nope. You're rejected. Get out of here. Like you're not welcome into the church. So he's not going to do that. He accepts if people are willing to accept him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty simple though, because 
it says that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. So everyone is predestined to be saved. But then we have the choice to choose whether or not to accept that gift. So it's 100% of all of those things, you know. And just as far as just the omnipotence of all knowing, um, I think that... Hey, go ahead, Ryan. I'm going to keep on going. I just had to lay at the end, I want to say. Go ahead. I'm done. I, 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 oh, okay. I agree. It's like it's it, all of the things. And thinking about predestination and the Bible as a whole, you have to think that we're all moving towards a final end. We're getting towards the what is it? The the crux of climax after life. Yeah, after life. No, like at the very end of the Bible. Revelation. Thank you, Revelation. We're getting to the point where it's all moving in one direction, and even if we do have free will, God's going to interject at some point and get us back on course to where He has already told us that we're going. If you believe in the Bible, we already know where we're heading. They're just, do you really have free will at that point? Like, sure you have free will in the middle, maybe, because God is letting you do it, but he's also, try to, I I think so. It's a great example of kind of what you're saying there, I think is Pharaoh. When Moses is asking to uh, asking Pharaoh to let his people go, and Pharaoh, you know, each time says no, no, no. Pharaoh at that point was hardening his own heart, right? And at the end, God finished the process of what Pharaoh already started. So I think, like you're saying in Revelations, it's all going towards something. Yes, we started it to go towards this something. God will finish it and make it like it's supposed to be. It's, it's kind of like a prophecy being fulfilled. We're part of that prophecy. Just because God knows it's already going to happen, we are moving the prophecy forward of our own free will. It's kind of like if I, I have two kids, you know, Walter, who's three, and Emerson, who's around one and a half. I know if I put a piece of chocolate in a room with Walter and tell him not to touch it, I know he won't do it. He has the free will to do whatever he wants, but I know him as a kid, and he won't do it. I put a piece of chocolate in there with Emerson, and I tell her not to touch it, and I know without a, fe- without a shadow in my mind that she will eat that piece of chocolate before I come back into the room. It's one of those things where I, I put that thing in place, and they have the free will to do with it as they will. But me putting that thing in place, I know what is going to happen. So, like you're saying in Revelations, it's bound to happen, so God has to intercede. God intercedes quite a bit, but why, while he intercedes, he does not mess with our free will he only completes the process of our free will i would thank you when you guys were saying it's gonna it took thousands of years and they argued about it for a thousand years it's very simple to me it's in the bible jesus died for everyone's sin if he if it just said he died for the elect few then that's one thing and he died for everyone's sin and part of that is so that for the people that don't accept christ one day they will have no excuse it was offered to them freely but also if jesus died for everyone's sin then that means everyone could be forgiven so everyone would be predestined to be saved. Right. So if that's the case, then everyone would be saved. So it can't just be purely predestination, and it has to be free choice. So, I mean, it's like you said, it's both. It's, it's 100% both. So That's the only answer we can come up with as pure humans. Cause <laughs> we're limited in our, our capacity. We, we can't comprehend true infinity. We just rationalize it as that's what it is that goes on. I guess at a, at a higher level, if you wanted to get into that, it, you could argue that it's purely predestination, but that would be a 
I don't think that's what we're doing here. I'm saying yeah. that it's 100% both. Yeah. But you could, at a very high level, argue that it's purely predestination. And I agree with that, but we definitely don't have the time to go into the... And none of us have of the it. degrees for it. Right, right. You, you kind of need that. Except for maybe Matthew. He could probably make that argument right here <laughs> now. But well, let's, let's finish up with this one question, and we'll try and make it quick so we can keep, uh, keep on schedule. And it'll be hard because this is a very broad question. Um, but what is salvation? And like I said, it's very broad. Uh, if you want to give a general synopsis, uh, anybody, for those who are listening, I think that would be a, a good thing to do, and then we'll cut it off. I think TJ summed it up pretty well in the, the first question, if you want to repeat what you said, what salvation is. Do you remember what you said? Ah. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, you're saying how to be saved, is that what you're saying? For the, yeah, for the purposes of this. Okay, yeah, just purely, it's, it, the Bible says easily, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died for our sins. It's, and it's not even that complicated, you know. It's just purely the belief in your heart and the speaking of it out loud. Whether you can speak or not, it's the acknowledgement of that. That's simply as it is. And it's not so much a belief in God as if you're an agnostic. It's more so the belief specifically in Christ. Yeah, and I, I know for me, especially in my younger days, it was, it was hard for me to grasp, grasp that. I, w- I was saved when I was around seven years old, and I, I did what the Bible said. I believed with my heart. I confessed with my mouth. You know, I got baptized in front of my church, but... You know, I would go to youth camps, and they would preach the same thing, but they'd preach about, you know, fire and brimstone and all this stuff, and you you better be sure you're saved. And every time I go to a camp, I, quote-unquote, get resaved. And so it, it is very simple, like TJ's saying, where if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth, you're saved, and you don't have to worry about, you know, what these other preachers are saying or what some people are, you know, getting that sense of anxiety of if I'm really saved you just have to believe that Jesus is Lord and and you're saved and I I just wanted to add that on there you know for people that are listening because I did struggle with that for a long long time and you find you find with a lot of people that grew up in church or grew up with a pastor as a father or a missionary or whatever that they have a struggle with with that exact thing where they go to a church camp every every summer and they get re-saved but I think salvation is instantaneous, but that it's something you have to work on. Not the salvation itself, but the relationship. And a lot of times when you have a story like that where it's like you keep getting resaved or however you would like to put it, it's simply because you probably don't have a solid enough relationship in what you believe. And that's why I've always kind of argued against just accepting whatever the pastor says or whatever your youth group leader says it's that has nothing to do with your relationship with christ it can help you build it sure but it has nothing to do with christ and so that's why i would say a lot of times uh, people who didn't grow up in church and just found christianity as a new thing are in most cases more hardcore at the beginning because they never had that they had never known that they had never seen this this type of you know salvation and relationship and so they seem to be more hardcore at the beginning and I think that's just because they've never known it whereas if you were born and raised in church uh, you've kind of always been around people who claim to be that you know so it's a little tougher but yeah yeah very very well said don't too much to add definitely confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved it's clear as day in scripture now, there will be people who try to cite James or the other portions of the epistle to say, well, 
you do need works though to be saved, right? And that's kind of a that's that's a bit of a misleading question because salvation by itself is an instantaneous thing, but then the rest of your life you're being sanctified. So as you're following Christ, your relationship with him continues to build as you grow closer to him. Unfortunately, if you have a Catholic or Orthodox mindset, the perception is more like Orthodox like to use the ladder analogy where my salvation is at the top and I have to climb this ladder. And if I fall off the ladder, well, that's just too bad because I'm no longer in salvation per se. Like Catholics believe in the state of salvation where as long as you don't commit a mortal sin, you are still saved. But if you do commit a mortal sin, which is something with which is of a grave matter with full intent. There's one more condition. I don't remember off the top of my head, but basically super serious sins with full intentionality. Then you lose your salvation and you have to get it back by confessing in the presence of a priest where you pray to God and confess your sins to him, but the priest hears it and verifies that your confession was legitimate, has full authenticity, it's perfect contrition, all the things like that. And that just adds so many barriers to the relationship with God. It adds so many extra steps that you have to do. It produces the unnecessary state of fear. Not a necessary fear, which may happen to someone who thinks they're saved, but they actually don't have a relationship. Someone who was raised in the church and just heard the Bible, went to church on Sundays, but never actually translated their faith into a relationship. They never actually believed with their heart. They just knew with their head. Those are the types of people that do need to be quote-unquote scared because they're living in a sense where they think they're saved, but they're actually not. Right. However, people have used those passages, which were meant for good, and twisted them to build these works-based salvation rules. And all these rules and barriers that just continue to build up and just hinder the relationship with Christ. As we talk to God in our prayers, we have this full and complete communication line there is no need for another person to listen to it to verify that our prayers are somehow accurate or have the perfect contrition that's necessary so it's not something that's contrived because when i'm praying to god by myself i'm not doing this for a show i'm not doing this to say look at you I, I, look at me i'm better than you not at all it's just a relationship one-on-one -on -one with god and that's it and we build from there we work towards growing closer to him through sanctification, and then we trust God through the twists and turns of life that are to come. And to that point, um, just I'm not Catholic, but you know, you believe that most, they say almost all people go to purgatory and then they have to spend their time in purgatory to work themselves to heaven. I don't particularly believe that. And as far as like works go, I agree. I mean, faith without works is dead. You know, it's, 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 it's the Bible says not to be lukewarm in your faith, but to be hot or cold. And so, yes, faith is in, or works are important in faith, but I would right. say to that point that works are required for faith, uh, not according to the scripture. I mean, uh, the man on the, I believe it was the left of Christ, said, um, how do I achieve what you have? And he says, I will see you in paradise with me. And so that would infer that there was no works done there other than the simple belief in that moment. And so why I agree faith is important, or I'm sorry, works are important to faith, it is not necessary to salvation right it's the evidence that shows that you're safe because right. if you're if your mind is changed towards believing a certain belief whatever it is you're going to naturally correspond that change of mind with actions so if you if you're convinced that your friends are wrong about some popular subject 
you're not just going to remain silent about it and just like, oh, I don't care. You're going to tell them, hey, so-and-so, like, I think that this position is different because I learned so-and-so. If you're compelled to serve in a certain area, you're going to do it, not because I have to serve, because then I get closer to salvation, and then maybe God will be more pleased with me. But instead, it's, wow, God, you've changed me. That's awesome. So I'm going to do these things because I find it joyful to serve, to do whatever you're calling me to do. And so it's just a much healthier, much more whole relationship with God than versus the alternative, where someone still may or may not be saved. I'm not going to say if you're a different denomination, you're not saved, because that's not my point, not my place to give that judgment. But in that relationship, even for those who are still saved, it's still more of a fear-based, like condemnation-centered lifetime. So you make it to heaven at the end, and it's like you didn't have to go through all that excessive fear. There is a point for fear, but there's also a point for love, because perfect love casts out the fear that is not relevant. Mm-hmm. All fear, yeah. Well, I might end it with two things here, and then we'll, we'll cut it off. Um, one is God or Christ's own message when he first started his ministry was the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and have faith, or repent and believe. And that's it right there. That was his message, and that's the crux of the issue. Um, the other thing I'll say is something I got from John Lennox, Professor John Lennox. Um, and it's the sense that the Christian faith is utterly unique among all the religions of the world. Um, every other religion is concerned with one thing, and that is good works over bad deeds. Essentially, you know, I'm trying to weigh the balance, and no matter what your idea of heaven or, or paradise is at the end of humanity, it's the weighing of your good versus your bad. So if you do a bunch of good things, then, okay, that unlocks the door and you can go in. And a lot of Christians have that view of Christianity, but that's the wrong view. In fact, Christianity is the exact opposite. The acceptance, that door into salvation, comes at the very beginning. And the works are caused by that faith. It's not works causing faith. It's faith causing works. And that's where it gets completely unique. And, And John Lennox has an amazing example where you can see it a lot more clearly. But the way people treat God is, you know, okay, God has given us this rule book, and if we follow this rule book really, really well, at the very end, he'll accept us and take us into heaven. He said, well, okay, let's say I, I meet somebody who's a you know, beautiful young girl, and I say, you know, I'd really like to make her my wife. So I go up to her, and I give her this big book of rules. I say, okay, here, uh, I'd like to make you my wife, but we're going to have a trial period for maybe 20, 30 years. So you take this book, read it, learn it really well. You try and do everything that's in there perfectly. And if at the end of that time you pass my test, yeah, you know, I'll make you my wife. It's like you wouldn't do that to anybody at all. You'd start out by you know talking to them and, and getting to know them, and then if there's love, you'd get married. But it's that acceptance at the very beginning, and that's really how Christianity works. There's an acceptance, and I, I get what you're talking about. Where there's a lot of people that put that import on the assurance of salvation. And that causes a lot of worries for a lot of people. And I was in the same boat. You know, it's like where they start doing the fire and brimstone and sinners in the hands of an angry God, and you start to doubt. You know, like, oh, well, yeah, maybe, you know, I did that bad thing, and I guess I'm not saved. That's, it's dangerous that people start doing that because you start to sow the seeds of doubt in people's mind. Whereas if you're focusing on repentance and belief in God, uh, in the belief that Christ came and died and rose again 
all to pay for your sins already. So the sins are paid for. You just have to accept that and believe it. Then you're good. You're golden. You're still going to make mistakes. Every one of us is human and imperfect, but it's that salvation, that acceptance that begins that whole pathway of salvation going forward. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening in for our first half of the MSG Brawl. We'll continue it after the break. Thank you very much, and bowing.